Hello, welcome back to Daughter's Strength. I know it's been a while and I'm so excited to be back. For today's episode, we are going to be continuing on with part two of last episode, which was about the character of Satan. We read in Genesis 3 that Satan is the father of lies. And we dove a little bit into how exactly it is that he lies to us. He plants seeds of doubt about who God is. And in doing so, we start to doubt or question who we are in light of not knowing or having believed lies about who God is. So if you haven't yet listened to that episode, I strongly recommend that you do and then come back and listen to this one because we're going to be diving into how this exactly relates to fitness and to our identity in Christ. And just to give a quick little recap, because I know that it's been a while, some of the things that we talked about was the character of Satan. And John 10.10 describes Satan as someone who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're told that he's a liar. He's the father of lies. There's a book that I'm reading right now that I love, and if you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend it. It's called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Groeschel, I believe that's how it's pronounced. And one of the things that really stood out to me from this book is what the author talks about in regards to Satan in the garden and how he lies to us then is the same way that he'll try to lie to us now. So what Satan did in the Garden of um, Eden back then is the exact same thing that he will attempt to do in your life today. Satan will whisper accusing questions and deceptive statements. He schemes to twist your mind because if he can, then he, one, diverts you from your purpose, two, distracts you from God's voice, and three, destroys your potential. If Satan can get you to believe a lie, your life will be affected as if that lie were true, even if it's not true. Because it's a lie and he's the father of lies. So nothing that comes out of his mouth will be true. And if Satan's primary weapon is to lie, then our greatest counter weapon as children of God is the truth of God's word. I want to read a verse. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Verse 4, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. I really want to focus on verse 3. I'm going to read it again. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And if you're wondering, what is the simplicity that is in Christ? It's this. If you have accepted and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've given him your life through baptism, Romans 6 says that we, me and you, have participated in the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism. So when we submerge under the water, we have died to our old selves. And when we come up out of those waters, we have risen with the resurrection power that rose Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit. And we believe Galatians 2.20 that says it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Romans 6.4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That is the truth that we hold on to, the truth in the person of Jesus and what he has done for us at the cross. If you have been united with Christ, that means that Christ lives in you and you are in him. You are in Christ. Go and read the book of Ephesians. So good. And most of the verses start with the words in him. So in him, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Verse 13, one of my favorites. In him, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. This is the simplicity of Christ. We now live new lives because of him. We have died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3 And this is the truth that you need to just take hold of. So when Satan tries to say any deceitful words, you are able to recognize that that is not aligning with truth and that you don't have to participate in that or even believe that lie or, or believe that thought that might not have even come from you, but it might have been planted there by Satan. Going back to the first verse that we read, Second Corinthians eleven three, be careful that your minds aren't deceived just how Eve's mind was deceived by Satan. And don't let something or someone or some thought or some feeling lead you away from the truth that you have received and the simplicity of Christ. Notice how Paul knows that Satan's going to try to deceive you and try to mess with your mind. Guys, your mind is a battlefield and the battle for your life is always won or lost in your mind. That's also why we're told in another verse of the Bible to take our thoughts captive because not every thought that we have is going to align with truth. But listen, you're not a victim of your mind. You have power over your thoughts and you are not captive to them. I want to make two main points today. So if you're a note taker, pull out your pen or open up your notes app. The first one is this. Feelings aren't always fact. And we do not live by our feelings. What does this mean? So if someone just explained to me the gospel and they read to me Romans 6 that says that I am dead to sin and alive to God and to consider myself slaves, no longer slaves to sin. And I think to myself, well, I don't feel like I'm free. I don't feel free because look at my circumstances. Look at my past. Look at what I did yesterday. It doesn't really matter what I feel because it's not true of what Christ has done for me. And the truth of what Christ done for me is that he has set me free from the power of sin, from the power, penalty, and wages of sin. And he has set me free from that stuff that I thought I was enslaved to. So am I going to listen to my feelings, which constantly change depending on my mood and depending on other circumstances? Or am I going to listen to the word of God 
which is truth and everlasting. Galatians 5, that talks about the works of the flesh versus the works of or the fruit of the spirit. One of the works of the flesh is sensuality. And I used to think that sensuality was like sexual immorality or like sexual sin. But in reality, sensuality is to be led by our senses. Being led by our senses is flesh living. And we just read that we are not in the flesh. We are in the spirit because we have been raised with the Holy Spirit, the very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That is the person of the Trinity that lives on the inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't live by our flesh. Though we are in a body of flesh, we don't live by the flesh. We live by the Spirit. Romans 8, 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So, we do not live by our feelings. We live by the truth of who Jesus is what he has done, and what he has spoken over us. The second point that I want to make is that since we are to walk by faith and not by sight, we are to speak faith always. What does it mean to speak in faith? It means that I am posturing my heart in thankfulness for what God has already done for me, for what God has already said about me, and for who I am now that I am in Christ, a new creation. And the problem with identifying as something that we are not is that we subconsciously give ourselves permission to be that very thing that we're not. For example, if I'm reading Romans 6 and I see that I am no longer a slave to sin and that after giving my life to Christ, I'm no longer called a sinner and I continue to call myself a sinner, I'm subconsciously giving myself permission to continue being a sinner and to continue living in sin. And I can use the excuse of, oh, well, we're all sinners. We all have a sinful nature. And I can use that excuse to continue to live in sin, even though the word of God says that because of Christ's death and resurrection and my participation in it, I am to consider myself to be dead to sin and alive to God, alive to righteousness. So I no longer identify myself as a sinner. Why would I identify myself as something that God paid such a high price to set me free from? The word of God, after we give our lives to God, Paul continues to call his people and the churches that he's going to, he calls them saints. We are to call ourselves and identify by being a saint. A sinner is someone separated from God. But because of Christ, I there is no separation anymore. I am in Christ. I am a saint. And I can say that because that is what the Bible says about me and about you. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. No longer slaves to sin. No longer a sinner. In relation to my health, I will believe the fact that I am a healthy person. And I will start walking that out in faith. You are healthy the moment that you decide that you want to be healthy. It doesn't, it's not a process. Sure, it's a process of maybe reversing some physical effects of living an unhealthy lifestyle, but the process of actually identifying with healthy is just deciding one day that I am a healthy person and then acting accordingly. If I believe that I am a person who prioritizes her health, then I will prioritize my health. If I believe that I am a person who wants to reach her goals of going to the gym five days a week, 
I will make it a priority to get up and go to the gym five days a week because that is what I am identifying myself with. If I am speaking down on myself, if I'm believing lies that I am never going to be healthy, that I can't do this for myself, that I don't have the time, then I'm not going to do it for myself. I'm not going to find the time and I'm going to continue living an unhealthy lifestyle because I am letting myself be identified by that which I think that I am. And remember that we are in the spirit, we don't live by our flesh, and we don't live by our senses. So if I ever feel like, oh, but I just, I don't have any self-control when it comes to food, or oh, but I don't have any self-control when it comes to um, getting up and going to the gym at whatever time, yes, you have self-control if you have the Holy Spirit, and this is a time to exercise that out in faith, right? You're going to exercise the self-control that is already yours because you are in Christ and you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have the Holy Spirit. You have self-control. And fitness is the one of those areas of your life where you are able to freely exercise that which is already yours, the fruit of self-control. And what I do, because I don't live by my senses, but instead I speak faith, is that I posture my heart in thankfulness for what Christ has done for me, for what he's given me. And you can ask, sure, if you're listening to this and you're like, this is ridiculous. I know that I definitely don't have any self-control and I'm maybe you're getting angry that I'm saying that you do. All right, stop, pray, and ask God for self-control. And it can be a very simple prayer. God, I feel like I lack self-control. Please give me self-control. But don't wait until you see the fruit of self-control to believe that you have it. Remember, you're walking by faith, not by sight. So right after you pray and ask, now you posture your heart in thankfulness that he has given it to you right then and there. So it'll sound something like, God, I don't think I have any self-control. Please give me self-control. And then just allow yourself a moment to be alone with God And silence your heart before him because he might tell you something. He might say something to you. And now posture your heart in thankfulness, believing and having faith that you have received it. So in that same prayer, I would then say, God, thank you for giving me self-control. Thank you because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. Thank you because I can now exercise this self-control when it comes to my health and fitness. Thank you because even though I don't feel it, I have faith that you have given it to me because your word says that ask and you shall receive. And I believe that I've received it tonight, God. And for that, I thank you and I praise you. And then you just walk it out in truth, believing that you have received and having faith that his word is true. And this isn't the power of positive thinking. I want to make that very clear that you are not, because then it becomes something that you're putting faith in yourself. This is all about faith in Christ and who he is and what he has done and in his word and believing and having faith that his word is true. Not the power of positive thinking, but faith. So with that all being said, I'm going to close it up here. And as always, if anyone has any questions or wants to talk about this further with me, if you need prayer or if you just feel a little lost and you need some guidance, 
I would love to help in the best way that I can. My Instagram handle is at train with Esme. So thank you guys so much for listening and I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye.